0: Hello and welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. Today I'm talking about tracking your cycle and I know I have prior episodes where I talk about ovulation or progesterone and all of these factors that I find are so important in natural fertility and every day I get asked questions about them. So I really want to break it down if you are just starting to maybe think about trying to conceive or if you just want to Be able to track your cycle so you can understand if there is an issue there, but I want to bring some of those cycle tracking facts to you. A quick plug, Fertility in the News has been moved to the newsletter. I love it here because I can really dive in to hot topics and that way the podcast just stays evergreen. You can go back and listen to whatever episode you want. This means, however, that you need to subscribe to the newsletter. So nataliecrawfordmd.com newsletter. Go ahead and put in your email address. Super easy. And every week we'll send you a newsletter with Fertility in the News, answering some of your fertility questions. Also with my favorite recipes, updates, things I love. It is not spam. And I promise we work really hard to make it a very valuable newsletter. So, you've probably heard me say before that your menstrual cycle, your period, is a vital sign. And what I mean by that is, it is really the only way that we are interpreting our reproductive hormones. And remember that our reproductive hormones are not just what is made from the ovary. I know that's what so many of us think, but really it's an entire system. We call it in medicine, the HPO axis, the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. And this is your brain communicating to your ovary, communicating back to your brain about how things are. And this is a dynamic system. So the really cool thing about hormones and every fertility doctor who's super nerdy like me loves hormones, everybody's going to tell you that they adjust based on your world. And that's what's so cool and so interesting that if you see a bear, suddenly everything in your body is going to shift in order to be able to fuel what you need at the moment, meaning who cares about eating or digestion or having a baby or ovulating You need to run from the bear. So you need everything going to your skeletal muscles so you have lots of strength and pumping your lungs full of oxygen and giving you the boost of energy you need to run from the bear. Same thing if you're surviving a famine If there's no food, your body is now going to shut down certain things that it feels like are less essential because you're trying to survive the famine. So our hormones adjust to the world around us, which is so fascinating, but also it makes it confusing. And honestly, this is why so many people are taking advantage of you because what they are doing is taking your interpretation of the world. And your interpretation of your hormones, and they're acting like a one-time blood draw, is representative of these huge problems. But a dynamic system can rarely be interpreted in a one-time snapshot. And I think that is one of the most important things. You are constantly adjusting. So we have to pull in the reality of what our hormones do into, well, how do we know if they're working right or not? Because can you have hormone issues? Sure. Can you have hormone imbalance? I hate that term. I do because it implies at one given moment things are not right and that you should supplement it to fix it, which it is not that simple. Treating something with the end product never fixes the problem. But in reality, people do have issues with their hormones and they can be messed up and they can be unbalanced, for lack of a better word, leading to you feeling terrible. And your period is the number one way you can interpret this. If you are on birth control and we're using that term broadly, oral contraceptive pills, an IUD, Depo-Provera shot, and implant in your arm, fantastic. Great for you. Those are wonderful options to not get pregnant. However, those are all messing up your hormones. And that's okay. We are manipulating the hormone system in order to prevent you from getting pregnant. That's good if you're at a stage where you don't want to be pregnant. And we manipulate the hormone system for our benefit. At other times, fertility treatment, IVF is a great example. The wonderful thing about the hormone system is that it goes back to normal or it goes back. It's nothing is going to be a permanent change, right? It adjusts to the world around you as long as it is functioning. However, if you want to know how your hormones are working, you have to be off of any hormonal contraception. So, let's say we're off of it and then now our period is a reflection of the intuitive system within our body. So, let's talk about what's normal and then we're going to talk about what's abnormal and what I want you to be tracking so that you can interpret when to seek help. And I'm admitting Seeking help is sometimes harder than it should be. It is just the American healthcare system. But let's break down what you should know about your body because it is really frustrating to me and I know it's frustrating to you when things are off and yet you had no idea that that was abnormal. So let's think about my favorite body part, the ovary. When you were born, Your ovary has all the eggs it's ever going to have. Actually, before you're born, at about halfway gestation, at about 20 weeks, when you are a baby inside your mother's womb, that's your peak egg count. I like to use the analogy of a vault. It's important to understand there is no actual vault. Think of follicles as more dormant and awake, but let's use the vault analogy because it really does help simplify what is happening. Imagine at 20 weeks gestation, you have all the eggs you're ever going to have. Each egg is inside the vault, housed inside a small little follicle. At the start of every single month, even from 20 weeks, a group of follicles comes out of the vault. Now, at this time, you're a baby inside your mom. You've not started puberty. Nothing happens. None of those follicles get stimulated. Nothing happens. They all die. That process happens until the brain turns on And that is puberty. So now the brain starts to make FSH. And now a follicle is allowed to start growing because FSH is follicle stimulating hormone. Well named. Its job is to stimulate one follicle to grow. As that follicle grows, it makes estrogen. That estrogen grows the lining of the uterus. When you're first starting puberty, it actually takes a couple years of this to prime the uterus and to even get the body ready for ovulation. But eventually you'll start having periods, that's called menarche. And at menarche now, we know the HPO axis is functional. So before then, it's not, but the ovaries are still doing their thing, losing eggs every single month. Suddenly now, once you have menarche, we know that a follicle is growing and making estrogen and ovulating, the rest of them dying. And then the next month, another group is coming out. And when you're on birth control or when you're pregnant, the process is still happening. So you have eggs coming out of that vault every single month until there are none, until you're in menopause. And I have that whole episode on premature ovarian insufficiency, what happens when you run out of eggs early. I have episodes on low ovarian reserve, or checking your AMH, which are measures of where we are on this spectrum. But it's important to realize that the ovary is doing this. It is releasing eggs from the vault. If there is no FSH, they all die. Next month, another group comes out. So that process is not impacted by anything. Now, the hormones that we think about coming from our ovary are only made in response to FSH and LH, the pituitary hormones. So FSH and LH are made from the pituitary gland. Again, this is what is first made in puberty, and they are actually controlled by the hypothalamus secreting something called GnRH, gonadotropin-releasing hormone. Your gonadotropins are FSH and LH because they work on the gonads in the female body. This is the ovary to make the ovarian hormones of estrogen and progesterone. These ovarian hormones then feed back to the brain at the hypothalamus where it can interpret, hey, we have a lot of estrogen. We must be growing an egg. Therefore, I don't need any FSH right now and I'm going to stop the release of it or decrease it from the brain because we don't need to grow a new egg. Or, oh, estrogen has been super high for 50 hours. We must have a mature egg. I'm going to now send out an LH surge from the pituitary gland to induce ovulation. So what is happening is the ovaries always releasing those eggs. Nothing about our hormones, when we talk about cycle tracking, is Stopping or halting that process. What we are checking is either the byproducts, estrogen, progesterone, or the brain products like the LH surge. So what is happening in a normal menstrual cycle month? Imagine you're on your period. At the same time when you're bleeding, a group of eggs is coming out of the vault, each egg inside a follicle. The brain sends out follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. FSH, again, works in perfect communication with the ovary to just have that one egg growing. As that egg is growing, it's making estrogen, which is talking back to the brain, decreasing the amount of FSH that is then being released. So at this stage... If we check what we call day three blood work, this is on your period blood work. What we are looking for is that you should have a normal amount of FSH. Usually that's between about five to 10 milli IUs, and a low estrogen because you're not growing a follicle yet. You should be starting to, but it shouldn't really be happening. If you have a high FSH... And a higher estrogen. Well, then I'm like, wow, this person had to send out a lot of FSH to get the ovary to respond, and the ovary responded faster than it should have. Now I'm concerned there aren't as many eggs remaining because that's a telltale sign. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research, they're essential, and Ritual knows this. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns, quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. If you have a very low FSH and a very low estrogen, well, now I'm concerned that the brain's not working right because with a low estrogen, the brain should be sending out FSH. So now I'm worried you have some hypothalamic dysfunction and maybe you have irregular periods or you don't have any but that doesn't make sense if your estrogen's low your fsh should be normal like there should be some or even high but if it's low that's an abnormal brain response to not having estrogen because the ovary and the brain should be besties so these day three labs are normally telling us hey the body's in the process of starting to grow an egg there should be some fsh estrogen shouldn't be very high. If estrogen's high or FSH is high, something is up. If they're both low, something is up. But throughout this process called the follicular phase, this is the first half of the cycle, defined as from the moment you start your period until you ovulate. Follicular phase, a follicle is growing on ultrasound. The egg inside the follicle is maturing. Estrogen is the predominant hormone byproduct from the ovary driven by FSH, which is being made from the brain. As that follicle is growing, again, it's making estrogen. This is making you feel good. You like estrogen. I like estrogen. Estrogen makes you feel more energetic. You typically are more focused. This is when you can get good projects done, make good gains, typically feel a little bit sexier. You're a little more in the mood for things. And overall, this tends to be the best time. So, not necessarily when you're bleeding because your estrogen's not high enough yet, but from the moment you stop your period, that's a sign that estrogen's high because estrogen got the lining of the uterus to grow, therefore stopping the bleeding. And now you're in the estrogen dominant phase of the cycle. So when people say, oh, I have estrogen dominance, I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, Everybody should have estrogen dominance during the follicular phase. The problem is if you just draw a one-time snapshot of some hormones in the follicular phase, estrogen's high, progesterone's low, somebody might say, hey, you have estrogen dominance, this is a big deal, you need to take this progesterone medication or this herb that increases or mimics progesterone. No, you do not. This is normal. This is how the body is supposed to be in the follicular phase. Now, what people think, or what they mean to say, I'm thinking, if I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt, is that you have PCOS. And what does that mean? When you have PCOS, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, the cyst is a bad word. It should be polyfollicular ovarian syndrome. This is when you have a lot of eggs in the vault. And when you have more eggs in the vault, more come out every month. And when you have fewer eggs in the vault, fewer come out every month. So if you have PCOS and you have a lot of eggs in the vault, you're going to have more come out every month, more follicles. That's where it gets its name because a cyst is a fluid-filled structure and a follicle is a fluid-filled structure in the ovary that houses an egg. But what happens in PCOS is that the brain sends out its normal amount of FSH, This FSH is getting diluted amongst all of the follicles. Therefore, there's not a strong enough signal to get any one of them to grow. So we're not getting to ovulation. When we're not getting to ovulation, the ovary gets super bored because its favorite thing to do is to make estrogen. It's a little steroid hormone-making factory. And when it can't do that, it's bored. It likes to make testosterone. Pathway LH to testosterone becomes super easy because the ovary is not making high levels of estrogen. But those small follicles are not dormant. Each small follicle does make a little bit of estrogen. That's why when you're in your follicular phase and you check a day three estrogen, you don't have zero estrogen from these small follicles. The normal value is about 20 to 30. Now, if you have PCOS, that value might be like 40 to 60. And this is also a problem. Every small follicle makes a teeny bit of estrogen. Not a big deal. You're not supposed to be totally estrogen deficient. But now, if you have more than the normal number, that estrogen is talking to the brain and confusing it, meaning the brain is not getting a low enough estrogen signal to send out a high enough FSH to get an egg to grow. All right, so you have a little bit higher estrogen than normal because you have more follicles than normal because you have PCOS. Therefore, Your estrogen is not low enough to tell the brain to send out more FSH, which it normally would do. So your FSH is also a little less than needed to get an egg to grow, and you get halted in this weird pathway. Therefore, the ovary starts to make testosterone, that low amount of estrogen also grows the uterine lining, and you can get breakthrough bleeding or irregular bleeding, and sometimes... When those eggs die and you have another group and maybe they're slightly less, there will be a strong enough signal to get an egg to grow and you get these irregular periods. So in PCOS, when people, if I give them the benefit of the doubt, say you have estrogen dominance, what they mean is that Or what they should mean is that your estrogen is higher than it should be on day three, indicating that you have PCOS. PCOS is not an estrogen problem. It's not, right? It's an ovulation disorder. And then it has metabolic consequences, the least of which is the estrogen, but more so from the testosterone and the insulin resistance that come from not having the brain send out a strong enough signal of FSH. Progesterone is not the cure for PCOS. Progesterone is not going to help you ovulate. I've seen so many people put on progesterone daily who want to get pregnant. They want to get pregnant, and somebody says you have estrogen dominance and I'm going to give you progesterone. That's birth control, y'all. That's not helping you ovulate. That's not regulating things. Should not have progesterone in that early follicular phase. So, this is why our treatments for PCOS to get pregnant are going to be things that lower your estrogen. So, Medication-wise, Clomid or Letrozole, oral medications for ovulation induction. they are pills that lower your estrogen. Therefore, the brain sends out a stronger signal of FSH or FSH injections. Or what else can lower your estrogen? Well, losing weight can. If you're overweight, your fat cells make estrogen too. They make a certain type of estrogen called Estrone. So if you go and lose some weight, that estrogen may drop and that may kick in enough FSH to get you to ovulate. Same reason why metformin can be helpful. It does decrease some testosterone. But also what's a big side effect of metformin? Losing weight. And then decreasing inflammation. Things like that can also help with some of your hormones. Decreasing exposures to toxic chemicals. And so that's why we try sometimes lifestyle modifications to either get at the insulin resistance or the inflammation that we see with PCOS. But the take-home here is that estrogen dominance is normal In the follicular phase, the estrogen is worse, meaning higher, in PCOS, but progesterone alone is not the cure. Side note, progesterone is good to protect you from getting endometrial cancer. Unexposed estrogen, so not having your period, but the ovaries making estrogen like we see in PCOS can predispose you to get endometrial cancer if you never bleed. So if you're not trying to get pregnant, you don't want to be pregnant, yeah, being on constant progesterone can be helpful. Or being on cyclic progesterone like every month or every couple months can be helpful. And in somebody who doesn't want birth control, but isn't really trying to get pregnant, but would be okay with it, I will sometimes put them on every month or every two month short progesterone burst not helping them ovulate. That period is not a reflection of ovulation, but it's not preventing them from getting pregnant. If they take a pregnancy test ahead of time and it's negative, they could take that progesterone and bleed. So those people would not get cancer, but not beyond birth control and maybe have the chance to get pregnant. So in a normal cycle, if we go back to normal, FSH, normal amount, drives one egg to grow. As that egg grows, the follicle is getting bigger. The follicle is making estradiol, That estrogen is growing the lining, making your body feel awesome sauce, but it's also talking back to the brain. And when the brain senses that you have had 50 hours of a high estrogen level, this is super specific, 200 picograms per milliliter, it then is going to send out an LH surge. So really before this FSH and estrogen have been the dominant hormones in the follicular phase, we are now approaching ovulation. Ovary tells the brain we have a mature egg, and so what is happening is that LH surge is now occurring. This LH surge is going to be the first time it surges. Important to understand LH, luteinizing hormone. It is going to pulse throughout the entire luteal phase. So If you keep checking things like ovulation predictor kits, you will keep getting positive surges. Stop it. It's only the first surge that matters. So that means if you're checking an ovulation predictor kit, that is a urinary-based kit in order to detect the LH surge. The LH surge generally happens about 24 to 36 hours prior to ovulation and The egg lasts for about 24 hours. So if you are trying to get pregnant, we recommend that the day you get a surge, you target having intercourse that day and the next day. Because sperm lives for five days, egg lives for 24. In the perfect world, you have sperm there before egg is there. But detecting when that LH surge first happens, that is what is hard. So you have to be detecting beforehand so you can see it go from nothing to positive, And you have to be checking at the right time. So LH is released from the brain in the early morning hours. It's a hormone. Hormones live in your blood. It has to be filtered through your kidneys, which are the magic filtration devices. And then it will enter into your urinary stream. When that happens, that is what you tech because you pee on the stick for the LH surge. So you've got to give it time to get from brain into urine. But if it's released in the morning and you're checking early morning because you have a crazy job like mine you might miss it. So I recommend you check that ovulation predictor kit between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. one time a day. If that is totally unrealistic for you, you couldn't check morning and evening just in case. If you have a surge in the evening, it really started that prior morning, but some people will miss it if they only are doing mornings because you might be a fast metabolizer and maybe it's already out of your system and high enough levels to be detected. Once you get a positive, stop checking, save your test, target intercourse that day and the next day. When you use our code A-A-W, that's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. Now LH is causing the egg inside that follicle to finalize a stage of maturity. It is resuming what we call meiosis, a stage of cell division, allowing the chromosomes to get ready to meet with a sperm. Then it is allowing the follicle to rupture. The cyst that the egg lives inside bursts, and then that follicular fluid goes into your abdominal cavity, and so does the egg. And the fallopian tube is like a little vacuum, going to suck it up in there. So. That is all happening after the LH surge. I like ovulation predictor kits as my cycle tracking method of choice, okay? But it might not be yours. Another option is cervical mucus monitoring. Now, cervical mucus monitoring is checking for high estrogen levels. When you get type 4 cervical mucus, it should be egg white and sticky, that cervical mucus is going to represent those really high estrogen levels, like the 200 picograms. So you really should not have it like that for more than one or two days. And when you do, that is when you're ovulating. So those are your target days for intercourse. Now, other things can mess up your cervical mucus if you're dehydrated or sick, or you take other medications, or you drink alcohol, so... There's that. And you have to be able to feel comfortable putting your fingers in your vagina, grabbing mucus, pulling it out. So it's not just what comes out when you wipe. It's actually what is up close to your cervix. And this is because those high estrogen levels actually change the mucus to make it easier for the sperm to get through. So your cervical mucus is a barrier when it's not the right time to get pregnant. And that is all a reflection of the estrogen. That also means other things that increase your estrogen can change your cervical mucus. So if you're taking estrogen for fertility treatments, that's going to cause abnormal cervical mucus. So that's fine. Or during an IVF cycle, I'm totally not worried about that. You're not about to ovulate. Cervical mucus is not a sign of ovulation. It's a sign of high estrogen. So just make sure you know that. Now, another thing is basal body temperature. Now, BBT used to be this Super hard thing, right? Because you had to take your temperature before you got out of bed, before you had anything to drink at this very specific same time every day with a very specific mercury based thermometer, and then you had to graph it on graph paper. And then you were waiting to see when the temperature increased, telling you that you already ovulated. By the time you see a temperature increase, you are seeing your temperature increase from the start of the production of progesterone. So after that follicle ovulates, what is happening is the follicle reheals, and now it makes the corpus luteum. And this is the luteal phase, or now the second half of the cycle, the time from ovulation until the next period. In the luteal phase, well-named primary brain hormone, luteinizing hormone, and it is causing production of progesterone from the corpus luteum in pulses in response to luteinizing hormone, which is secreted in Pulses from the brain, but that corpus luteum is a cyst, makes progesterone essential for implantation. It opens and closes the implantation window. All right, well, progesterone is a really well named hormone and it's the progestational hormone. It is getting you ready to gestate a fetus or to be pregnant. So, one thing that it does is it starts to change the body. It starts to get you ready. It wants to conserve calories. It wants you to eat more. It wants you to sleep more. It raises your temperature a little bit. I like to think of it as making a nice little warm womb for your potential embryo. All of that said is that this is typically the time of the cycle you don't feel as great because you're hungrier, less energy, Your body wants to sleep more. It is conserving in case you get pregnant. But because it increases your core body temperature, this is what basal body temperature checking is. So after you ovulate, once the corpus luteum reforms and starts making progesterone, now you're going to see a temperature rise. This temperature rise is small, usually half to a one degree Fahrenheit change that starts about 24 hours after the egg is released. And remember, the egg only lives for. 24 hours. So at the time you get a temp rise, it tells you, yay, I ovulated, but it's too late to have intercourse at that time because by the time your temperature is rising, the egg is through the system. I see people mess that up all the time. Now, I didn't recommend BBT for years because it would stress people out. It's not proactively helpful, but technology is amazing. So with tech, what we see is that your Apple watch or some of your wearable devices are now constantly measuring your temperature and they can detect that increase. Well, that's easy because it's telling you, but also if you do have very regular cycles, meaning they always come at 26 days and you always get your temp increase on the same day, it can calculate ovulation by going backwards. So it'll say, oh, your temperature always increases on day 14, meaning you probably ovulate Day 12, so that's when you should target sex from days 9, 10, 11, 12. The fertile window we typically define as the five days ending on the day of ovulation. Remember, LH is the day before ovulation. So if you are looking at your fertile window with an LH surge, day five or the end is the day after that. The reason why, again, sperm can live for up to five days, egg lives for 24 hours. Now, most sperm doesn't live for five days, so We do like to get some there closer if possible. So this is where old adages came in, like have sex every other day or have sex daily. And there's really no difference. You can have sex daily. More sex is not problematic. But if you wear out, like if you don't have sex every day and now you start having sex every day, maybe You're kind of burnt out on it and then you don't have sex when the egg is there. And that's the problem with daily sex. More people burned out. So that's why the general recommendation was having sex every other day after the time your period stopped for about the next week. And for the majority of people, that alone, without any cycle tracking, if you have regular cycles, will put sperm there at the appropriate times. So if you don't want to stress about any of this tracking, you do not necessarily have to. If your cycles are long or if your cycles are short, that may not be the case. FYI. So I think BBT is a good adjunct, you know, if you do have regular cycles and helping you understand when you might ovulate in future cycles. It's also important to understand this luteal phase more. So the luteal phase is the time when progesterone is being made. The corpus luteum should live for 12 to 14 days, meaning the ovary has that capability to fuel what it needs just based off LH from the brain. However, after 12 to 14 days, if there's no pregnancy, the corpus luteum is going to die. When it dies, your progesterone drops, and when your progesterone drops, that is now going to induce a period. You're going to get a period, and the cycle starts over again. Now, if you get pregnant, now HCG, the pregnancy hormone, what you check on a pregnancy test, is going to rescue that corpus luteum. And what we mean by that is that now that HCG is stimulating constant and increased production of progesterone. So instead of having a corpus luteum make progesterone in pulses in response to the brain, what happens in the luteal phase, now it is having a constant and increased stimulation. And that's because HCG increases exponentially. It doesn't drop. If you have a normal pregnancy, HCG is gonna double every two days. So you have this increase exponentially, getting higher HCG, stimulating the corpus luteum to make a constant high progesterone. And that is why we have progesterone levels that we like to see for pregnancy, but not necessarily for the luteal phase. So in the luteal phase, progesterone, can be anywhere from 3 to 40 nanograms. And that is because, again, it is responding in pulses from the brain. If you check a day 21 progesterone, what you are checking truly should be one week after ovulation. So if you ovulate late, day 21 is not the day, and you should say something to your doctor. But if you're checking about a week after you think you ovulate, the only value that matters is 3. Meaning, if your progesterone is anything over three, you ovulated. And if it is less than three, you at least haven't ovulated a week ago. You might have ovulated yesterday, right, y'all? But it's not been a full week. So that is what a mid luteal progesterone is telling us. Did you ovulate? Not how good is our ovulation? Not do I have low progesterone? Not Do I have a luteal phase issue, luteal phase deficiency? Okay, but short luteal phase or luteal phase defect or deficiency is a real thing. So how do you know if you have it? What does this mean? So what this means is I like to think about luteal phase issues as a spectrum of ovulation disorders. If we think about ovulation, you have perfect and then you have mild, moderate, no when it comes to ovulation issues. In a luteal phase issue, this is the most subtle ovulation disorder. You're ovulating a follicle, but for some reason, the follicle doesn't have the capability of making enough progesterone, probably due to something inherently wrong with the ovulation because the follicle becomes the corpus luteum. And then if we get worse than that, you start to have irregular cycles and then no cycles. So we kind of can go from a short luteal phase to irregularity, skipping months, nothing and we know this from prolactin data so prolactin is a brain hormone also made from the pituitary gland snuggled right up to where the pituitary gland makes fsh lh and tsh and as prolactin rises it decreases the ability of the brain to send out fsh and this is giving us some really interesting observation in the spectrum of ovulation disorders so the first thing that happens as your prolactin starts to rise is you get a short luteal phase so you still have periods. They might be coming a slightly closer together, but if you are tracking luteal phases short, then as it gets a little bit higher, they start becoming longer and more irregular, higher skipping months. And at its highest, you have amenorrhea or absence of periods. And as you treat prolactin and it gets back lower, you see a reversal through the same steps. So what that means for us is that luteal phase defects are real. Now, Detecting them is a something that's different, so a blood level is not going to do it. What are clinical symptoms? Clinical symptoms are a short luteal phase or having spotting before your period. So if we think about the spotting situation, you should have a progesterone drop when suddenly that corpus luteum dies, and then that progesterone drop should result in a period. Now, it's fine to have spotting for like a day beforehand, maybe two, but like really you should be starting your full flow pretty soon in response to that progesterone drop. If, however, you have four days of spotting before you have full flow, I'm worried that that corpus luteum never got to a high enough level to feel the drop to get that full flow. That it started to fail earlier in the cycle, therefore resulting in the clinical sign of spotting. And I like to check for things that can contribute to a short luteal phase. How's your prolactin? How's your TSH? Are you running out of eggs? Is this an ovulation disorder? And if you do have a short luteal phase, then should you be treated? And I'm a big believer in that treatment is making a better follicle. So helping you ovulate. You can add in progesterone, that's fine, but progesterone alone is probably not getting to the problem. And progesterone, when you're pregnant, it's way too late. The issue of the short luteal phase, the low progesterone already happened, y'all. So we need to get there beforehand. So my favorite treatment, if it's thyroid or prolactin, we'll obviously fix those, but if it's just a spectrum of ovulation disorders, and I don't know why, then I'm going to lifestyle change decrease inflammation, etc. But also, I'm going to use ovulation induction medications. try to ovulate a better follicle and then give it progesterone after ovulation, not waiting until pregnancy tests. But what also is a sign is a short luteal phase. And this is a big deal where that other cycle tracking method, your app, can be an issue. And app or any technology-based cycle tracking method is using the calendar method. It eventually will adjust for you, but for the first many months, which is probably the beginning of you starting to try to get pregnant, it is presuming your corpus luteum is going to live for 14 days. It's presuming that two weeks. So it's going to take, hey, your cycle length is 30, 30 minus the length of the luteal phase, 14, is going to tell me that you ovulate on day 16. And that's what it's going to tell you to target intercourse. Well, what if you have a late ovulation or a short luteal phase? If your luteal phase only 10 days, it's totally telling you the wrong day. So the data out is only as good as the data in. And this is a major limitation when it comes to cycle tracking, unless. You preemptively have done it and you've been tracking your cycles for a while, but even then, how does it know to change? It's always going to use 14 days unless you are inputting your ovulation differently. So if you're combining calendar-based tracking with an ovulation predictor kit and you're telling the app, hey, no, I'm actually ovulating on day 20, it'll eventually realize that you have a short luteal phase and adjust So that's a limitation. That's why we don't love calendar method or even just plain old apps. And studies have supported that, that apps can get the fertile window wrong because it's presuming everybody has the same luteal phase. So one major issue I see here is that people will check progesterone in the luteal phase and say, you have a progesterone deficiency and I need you to take these herbs or supplements that increase progesterone. Y'all, you should not have high progesterone the whole cycle though. So that's an issue or they'll put you on daily progesterone all the time or some compounded hoo-ha and that's not right. If we're truly worried about a luteal phase insufficiency, putting somebody on luteal progesterone starting it a few days after ovulation, it's not wrong, but it hasn't really shown to help a luteal phase issue. Again, I believe it's an ovulation issue, has been shown to help miscarriage. So if you have recurrent miscarriage, which maybe is a byproduct of a short luteal phase because things start to implant but then can't because that implantation window is off for some reason, then starting progesterone after ovulation, not upon a positive pregnancy test but after ovulation, potentially can be beneficial. And so this is why we check some of these hormone factors, looking for cycle abnormalities in people who are having recurrent miscarriage or I talked to them about how can we optimize our cycle. All right, y'all. So your period is really telling us so much about how your brain and your ovaries are interacting. A one-time glimpse at any moment has to know, like the interpreter has to know what they're looking for. And I'm sad to tell you, A lot of times that's not the case. Somebody doesn't know what they're looking for and they put you on something that's actually going to decrease your chances of getting pregnant because hormones are dynamic. The other thing about this is because they are dynamic, yeah, your life influences them. You have one body, your brain and your ovary are connected. So what happens in your world and how your brain interprets it is huge for what's going to happen when it comes to your ovulation and your ability to get pregnant. So if you have chronic stress or inflammation, if you are sick or ill, if you're not eating enough calories, if you're over-exercising, if you're on certain medications that can interact with the brain, that can all have a downstream impact on the system. And that's why we can see hypothalamic dysfunction, even if you're not in full amenorrhea, from people who are so... Will you stressed for lack of a better word? It may not be stressed like you and I think about it, but the body has decided it is not wanting to ovulate. And so it is starting to shut down, send out less LH and FSH. And eventually, when it closes that pathway down, you have hypothalamic amenorrhea, hypohypo, and you are no longer making FSH and LH, and therefore the ovary doesn't have anything to respond to. And the hallmark labs for that are low FSH, low LH, low estrogen. But you can also run out of eggs. And when you run out of eggs, what is happening is now there's nothing in the ovary that's going to respond. So the brain wants so badly to make estrogen and it's sending out all the FSH that it has, yet there's no egg to grow, nothing to make estrogen. So in that circumstance, you might have really high FSH and low estrogen. And clinically, the symptoms are the same. If you come in with low estrogen symptoms without checking your blood work, I might not be able to know what's happening because. Your body likes estrogen, and if you don't have it, you're going to start to feel fatigued, less energy, mental dulling, you're going to have trouble sleeping, you might have hot flashes, you might gain weight, your sex drive is going to drop, you might have vaginal dryness or discomfort or increased pain, you might have digestive issues. So, a lot of these things are all really dependent on estrogen. So, that period, having a regular, predictable period, is telling you things are working well, and if you're not, You do not need to try for any amount of time before you go and get things evaluated because your hormones are a reflection of your body and your body's interpretation to the world around you. All right, y'all. Well, that was very lengthy and thanks for sticking around because it was so long. We are not going to do Q&A this week, but as always, you can ask your questions on Instagram, Natalie Crawford, MD, every Monday. Those questions will be answered on Instagram, in the newsletter, and on this podcast. We also have some episodes where I love to answer the questions that you call in and ask. So feel free to call the voicemail 657-229-3672. Again, that is 657- Two two nine three six seven two, and leave a voicemail for some of our voicemail questions. Thank you guys so much. As always, I appreciate you being here. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.